Hey there, podcast listeners. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the senior pastor at Williamsburg Baptist Church in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. We are so glad you're listening to our podcast. This is the sermon from Transfiguration Sunday, February 27th, 2022. It's the last um, It's the last Sunday in the Epiphany season, the season of light, uh, as we, we find ourselves on the cusp of Lent. And so I hope that this sermon is meaningful for you. The text comes from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. It's the story of Jesus encountering a man who was born blind. And such such an interesting, rich text, certainly worth reading. It's the entirety of chapter 9 in the Gospel of John. So would love for you to um, check us out on the website. If you're finding us for the first time, our website is williamsburgbaptist.com. You can also email me at pastor at williamsburgbaptist.com. And that comes straight to me. Would love to hear from you, get to know you better, or hear ways that we can be praying for you or support you in this season. We have recently received word from our reopening committee that uh, we're relaxing some of our COVID protocols and mask mandate in alignment with what the CDC has most recently recommended. And so things are certainly evolving here as we move towards the spring uh, into this, uh, this year. So would love for you to check us out and find out more about what we've got going on. Really glad you're listening. Hope that this sermon is meaningful for you in your spiritual journey. God bless. If you feel comfortable doing so, I wonder if you would take a minute to close your eyes. I know it's a dangerous thing for a preacher to ask during a sermon. I hope it's worth the risk. Take a moment just to be quiet and settle in. Notice your breath. Pay attention to what you notice with your other senses when your eyes are closed. We experience the world differently when our eyes are closed. For most of us, sight is our dominant sense. When our eyes are open, we focus on that sense more than all the others. But when our eyes are closed, the rest of our senses kick in even more. The absence of light gives us opportunities to notice things that we would never notice otherwise. There are some things that we can learn or understand only in the darkness. If, you're, if you still have your eyes closed, you can go ahead and open them again. If you're sitting next to someone who's listening and you can nudge them um, to make sure they're still awake. I, should, I guess it's only fair to say real quick, our, uh, for whatever reason, the recording that we captured um, on Facebook Live this past Sunday wouldn't let us uh, download it. So I'm recording this sermon uh, in my office a couple days later. And so sorry you can't hear the all of the chuckles and <laughs> laughs of the congregation. So the experience of being blind was different in the first century than it is in the 21st century. We have various adaptations nowadays. We have the Americans with Disability Act. Uh, we, I was talking to one of our members a couple of weeks ago about deaf culture, and their comment was that the healing stories in the New Testament can be problematic because not everyone wants to be healed. There's an awareness that we all inhabit bodies in different ways, 
And so people who are, you know, find themselves in deaf culture or in blind culture uh, feel like, you know, that's, that's a whole place to be. In the first century, of course, on the other hand, a disability like blindness was devastating. People who were blind could not engage in any gainful work in the world, and so they were dependent on the charity of others to skate, scrape by. And that's the case for the man that Jesus encounters in John chapter 9. The text says he's a beggar. And so seeing him as they walk along, the disciples are quick to make assumptions about who this man is based on what the disciples see with their eyes. He is blind, and so he or his parents must have done something wrong to, to deserve this suffering. Something bad has happened. Blame must be cast somewhere. But Jesus is quick to nip this idea in the bud. Sin did not cause this man's blindness. Even today, there's a tendency to believe that when bad things happen in life, it's somehow our fault, or someone must be to blame. Jesus, Jesus replies adamantly that that is not at all the case. Sometimes bad things just happen. Flip over to Ecclesiastes sometime, and you'll get a very similar perspective from within the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus refuses to play the blame game. Instead, he moves quickly to the possibility of healing in order to reveal God's glory through his life. Now, the healing itself is somewhat uncharacteristic, especially in the Gospel of John. Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud and then takes his fingers and spreads it on the man's eyes. It's a very earthy moment in the text. The man goes to the pool of Siloam to wash the mud away, and he comes back able to see. It is a miracle, and it opens up all sorts of new possibilities for him to reinvent himself in the world, to find purpose and work and new meanings in life. Those who knew him when he was blind can hardly believe it is him when they encounter him. They can't believe that he can see. In the Hebrew scriptures, blindness was one condition that none of the miracle workers could heal. It was just not possible. It was believed that only God could heal blindness. And so some of the neighbors bring this man to the religious authorities. And we shouldn't be surprised that some of them immediately seize upon the fact that Jesus has healed him on the Sabbath. Jesus made mud, and this violated the Sabbath laws in these um, religious authorities' eyes. This isn't the first time that a healing has prompted conflict between Jesus and the religious authorities. Others just can't believe that it's true, so they call the man's parents and interrogate them, and all they can say is, we know this is our son, and he was born blind, but we don't know how he can now see. So let him tell you what happened himself. So they ask the man again. They say, give glory to God. We know this Jesus guy is a sinner. The man responds, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. Here's what I do know. I was blind and now I see. The exchange between the formerly blind man and the religious leaders is fascinating and it is dripping with irony. The religious leaders just can't see it. They invent excuse after excuse to try to delegitimize the obvious facts that they can see right before them. The man was blind, and now he can see. And so the religious leaders resort to bullying and kick him out of the synagogue. 
By the end of the story, it's clear that those who think they see clearly are entirely blind to the truth. And the one who found himself blind and in darkness at the beginning of the story is the only one who really gets it after all. Friends, today is Transfiguration Sunday. It is the culmination of the season of Epiphany, the season of lights. And today the lights grow glow and grow brighter and brighter still. Any other year we would be reading the story of the Transfiguration from Matthew, Mark, or Luke's Gospels. You re may remember that story where Jesus ascends the mountain with three of his disciples and communes with Moses and Elijah, and the voice of God speaks to them from above. But John's Gospel doesn't have that story, and so in the narrative lectionary this year, we get this instead, a story of blindness and light. This Wednesday that follows this Sunday, we turn the page to the church calendar and enter the season of Lent on Ash Wednesday. This is the gloomiest and darkest season in the life of the church. It's a season of reflection and repentance as we prepare for Holy Week and ultimately Easter. It's hard for me to reconcile the juxtaposition of light and darkness as Epiphany gives way to Lent. Light gives way to darkness and hope to fear and joy to sorrow. I have to be honest, too, that I struggle with the language of light and darkness sometimes, especially when I think about the unfortunate ways in which the language has been racialized in our society so that light is good and dark is bad. As much as I love the symbolism of light and the images of candles glowing, as often as I find myself echoing Jesus and saying that we're called to be the light of the world, I still find myself re wrestling with it. But sometimes I can't help but wonder if perhaps light and darkness aren't two sides of the same coin, in fact. Some of you know that my wife directs a summer camp out in the mountains of Virginia, out in Bath County. It's called Camp Alculana. One of the favorite activities there is to take campers into the wild caves in the area. And there are wild caves everywhere out in Bath County, believe it or not. Don't think Luray Caverns. Rather, think a dark hole in the ground or perhaps an underground jungle gym of sorts. It's rocky and dirty and muddy in many places. And it's entirely dark if you don't take a light in with you. When we take groups in the caves, often we'll get to a point where we're deep inside and we all sit down, and we get everyone to turn their lights off one by one. It's an exhilarating experience being deep underground as one by one the flashlights go out, leaving you in what is literally pitch darkness. When the last flashlight goes out, you can try to wave your hand in front of your face, and for the life of you, you, you can't see it. We aren't used to total darkness in our modern world of electricity and electronic screens. And to be honest, a lot of the campers don't love it either, and they quickly turn their flashlights right back on because they're scared. But I love it. There's something that's so calming and so peaceful about sitting in absolute darkness. It's so quiet and still. There's nowhere you need to be and nothing you have to do other than to savor the moment.
I remember as a child being afraid of the dark like so many of us are. If I walked outside at night, I would run quickly back in. Granted, I lived on a farm and sometimes there were coyotes. But nowadays I find myself stepping outside at night and pausing and breathing deeply and savoring the goodness of the dark. I love sitting around a campfire in our backyard at night. I love love pulling out our telescope and looking at the stars and planets that are only visible in the night sky. It turns out that there are some things that you can only see in the dark. Barbara Brown Taylor says that I have learned things in the dark that I could never have learned in the light. Things that have saved my life over and over again so that there's really only one logical conclusion. I need the darkness as much as I need light. She goes on to say new life starts in the dark, whether it is a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb. New life starts in the dark. Friends, it would be nice if we could stay here in the epiphany season forever, on this spiritual mountaintop, in our sanctuary filled with lights, in a world that knows only peace. But as we move into Lent, we move into the valley. The psalmist knew that sooner or later we would all face a valley of the shadow of death. The ancient mystics knew that often it took a dark night of the soul to move closer to union with God. Is it possible that we can find ways to befriend the darkness? Whatever darkness you find yourself in these days, is it possible that it is here in this darkness that we will encounter God in new and surprising ways? And when we do so, will we find ourselves transfigured and transformed into who God is calling us to be in the world? Is it possible that we need the darkness in order to see the light? In the story in the scripture passage today, those who saw or thought they saw clearly were in fact blind to the truth. And the one who was born blind and in darkness was the only one who really got it. Happy Epiphany, folks. May God's light shine brightly in your lives. But may you always remember that God is with you in the dark places too. And when you are there, may you see God's glory all the more clearly. Amen. Amen.